Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 286 of the Fun with Cars, Formula One, and other motorsports podcast, or episode 20 of 2021. I'm Robin Warner, and today I'm joined by the man that is just beside himself with grief because Lewis Hamilton was not on the podium, Christopher Roche. Hey, Chris, you, you holding up? I am holding up. I don't think he, he raced this weekend, did he? I think it was an imposter. You know, he might have had like a, he might have been Grand Marshal or something. I'm not sure. Or maybe they had a, maybe they gave him the 2014 car. I'm not sure exactly what's happened. It is Monday morning, May 24th. And Chris and I are going to talk about the Monaco Grand Prix. The cap and the crown of the jewel. The jewel cap, diamond mine crown bit of the race, racing. It's, It's a good race. Chris, where shall we start? Well, I don't think it should be the jewel in the crown of the Formula One calendar for starters. I mean, what a soporific race that was. <laughs> Dear Lord. Um, I guess we have to start with uh, qualifying. Uh, it was it was intriguing. We had a competitive Ferrari team. Uh, well, and you say they took start with qualifying. I think we're going to mm-hmm. stay on qualifying for a fair while. <laughs> <For a fair laughs> <amount. laughs> was that the most interesting right. part of the weekend? Ferrari was properly quick. Absolutely quick. I mean, you know, it was amusing how many people said that they could have been on pole if Charles hadn't crashed. But uh, in reality, uh, with the times that were set, Charles put it on pole position um, and was quicker than everybody else. Uh, Massive news, really. Ferrari, uh, with this uh, 21 chassis, are able to be competitive at Monaco. And and obviously, they still have a little bit of straight line speed deficit and on a track that doesn't have any straight lines and lots of slow corners they can compete which is because uh, Carlos was right up there too so it was excellent well and in, in fact that's what I was going to say is that one of those people that was also lobbying for pole position run was Carlos Sainz even if someone did usurp Leclerc it wasn't necessarily going to be a different team although Verstappen was looking mighty quick as well and Botas was there or thereabouts. He didn't quite seem to be... I don't think many people would have put their money on Botas, but he was definitely in the thick of it. And obviously that's the case with the fact that his early Q3 run was third quickest. So he was obviously right there. Yeah, and to be fair, Norris wasn't a million miles away either. I mean, so the top five were covered by, you know, pretty small margins. And... Uh, you know, typically the track will continue to rubber in, and so you would expect that uh, that the second runs would have been quicker in Q3. But we didn't get to uh, to find out because Charles made a mistake, as we've seen so often at the chicane uh, at the exit of the swimming pool complex. Uh, took a little bit, was a bit greedy on turning and smashed his front right into the Armco barrier and uh, crashed his car as a consequence. Was there anything at all that entered your mind? for any length of time that what Leclerc did was untoward, that it there was any purposefulness in trying to block other people from getting qualifying runs in. Did that ever enter your mind, considering the history that Monaco has? No, absolutely none. I, I think he was he was very aware how tight it was and that he needed to set a quicker lap. I don't think his first sector time had been, uh, you know, that much to write home about. So he was definitely trying to trying to find time through the second half of the lap. Um, got a bit greedy and made a mistake. I think, you know, if you want to stymie other people's efforts, both Rosberg and Schumacher have shown that there's much less dangerous ways to to cause yellow flags and and to end the session. You don't need to shunt your car. Ah, uh, but that's <laughs> just it. They did it. They did it too subtly. And Leclerc said, ah, I know, I know what to do. You got to be a little bit more, let's say, blunt about it. And uh, it's like, how could I have done that on purpose? Look right there. Uh, yeah, obviously I'm joking around, but I actually want to stay, take a step back to Friday practice because they were Ferrari. They were P1, P2 at the end of Thursday. And uh, they were showing speed early on and right from the beginning of the weekend. They were definitely quick. And, and I think Carlos showed pace in the race as well. So uh, they were, yeah, they were properly competitive this weekend, Ferrari. And, 
you know, if things had gone a little bit more in their favour, if one of them had managed to land pole position and start from pole position, they would have had a really good shot to win, I think. Unfortunately, um, as we all know, uh, Charles wasn't able to take the start. Uh, in the reconnaissance laps, he, uh, he found out that there was a, a problem uh, with, with drive out, out of slow corners, of which, you know, they're all slow corners at Monaco. Right. And they subsequently <laughs> found that the, uh, the, the drive shaft, the left-hand drive shaft, the one that wasn't directly smashed into the wall, uh, was at fault and had actually, they think, potentially been damaged during the crash. And it wasn't inspected unfortunately, and, and wasn't picked up or repaired or replaced, and so therefore they had to retire the car. So there's no doubt if Charles had been able to start from pole, we would have had a different race, uh, maybe a more interesting race. Uh, and I knew as, as soon as he was retired that, uh, that Max was going to win. Well, let's dig into that a little bit. You're a structural engineer. I'm a person that went to engineering school and pretended to be one for a little while. No, 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 that's not true. I was paid to be an engineer for a few years. I shouldn't uh, I shouldn't uh, ding myself so much. But anyway, I'm surprised because there's a lot of very intelligent engineers at Ferrari. I believe some of them even went to Monaco. And it's not hard to think about what you have in the transmission in the gearbox is a very rigid body. And when... The right side of a rigid body takes an impact from the collision with the armco barrier. That's going to send shockwaves, waves of force through to the gearbox. And since it's such a rigid body, that will transfer a lot of energy to the other side. I, do, do you see what I'm getting at? It seems it doesn't seem like a big leap to want to check everything attached to the gearbox that you can check. Uh, yeah, I think you would be checking all four corners of the car very very carefully and absolutely the left hand side uh, suspension and and drive shaft and and uprights and not least of which you know because because he lost his track rod he launched over the curb um, the left hand curb before he hit the wall and you never know how how much load that had placed through the the rear axle as well on the left hand side but absolutely you're going to have a lot of force transmitted across um, the rear axle in its entirety and the, you would expect that that would have been uh, thoroughly investigated I, I, the one the one complexity to all of this is the park ferme rules what you're allowed to replace uh, how much you're allowed to inspect without breaking certain seals that then trigger uh, penalties on the grid position and i think obviously ferrari were, were treading a fine line where they were trying to establish if the box was damaged without having to take the five place grid penalty um, ultimately what they should have done is rebuilt the rear end taken the five place penalty and and then he would have at least um, had a good shot of a podium uh, or, 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 if, or at the very least fourth place which would have certainly been better than I did, than I did not start let's talk about that a bit I, I had to say my initial reaction was I respect Ferrari taking that risk of having to see if the car is okay on pole but that kind of goes counter to the argument I just made a few moments ago, which is, man, obviously that was a big impact. A lot of forces got transmitted to the entire rear of the car and the front of the car, indeed. Is it worth risking pole position um, for these things? And ah, it, it's tough. So if you look at the gearbox and the gearbox looks okay, then you say, well, screw it all. Let's give it a shot. And I can respect that to a certain extent, but then the pragmatist in me says, boy, you know, just as you said, now we can look at with hindsight, you're looking at a potential double podium here if everything went well. And instead, think, you know, they had one car out. I think if you were at a regular racetrack where actual overtaking was possible, you would, and you had a competitive car, then the logical thing would be to be conservative get the repairs done, take the penalty, start sixth, and expect that you would be able to make, make up ground. But at Monaco, where you know that even if you're slower than the second and third place cars, you're probably gonna win with a decent pit stop strategy. 
it's worth rolling the dice. I, I respect Ferrari for having having a go. I know Matteo Bonotto was saying, oh, you know, we want to be reliable, we want to finish the race, we'll, we're doing all the checks. Well, that was sort of <laughs> made to look a little bit comical on Sunday when they couldn't even run, you know, the uh, the initial laps to, to the to the grid. Um, but I think it was certainly worth rolling the dice because what if what if nothing was damaged? What if he was able to take pole position and win the race? then it would have paid off. And, and if they'd been conservative, they would have thrown away the win opportunity. So I think, I think they probably did the right thing. I think just the, the, the very unique nature of Monaco. And, and I mean, this year seemed to be worse than ever for lack of passing. I mean, with the exception it of the Vettel, yeah, the Vettel-Gasly exited pit lane battle that we never got to see properly because the producer cut to anything else. Um, but there was not a single overtaking manoeuvre I saw coming out of the tunnel. I mean, just staggeringly dull. I don't know yeah. what was going on this year, but um, you know, I, 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 you know, it's very easy to to to, to look at Ferrari and, and wonder what on earth they were thinking. But I think really, the the, the big issue is that Charles had crashed on his second uh, Q3 lap, and and from there it all unravelled. Uh, unfortunately, his weekend. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's right, and I I do before I want to talk more about qualifying in the different teams but to close out the ferrari portion of this i do want to give a big pat on the back at a boy and respect to charles leclerc for not only sticking around and handling interviews and doing that due diligence i mean his apartment was probably a fairly easy walk from the race uh he could have buggered off (laughs) <laughs> but not only did he stick around, he was one of the first people to congratulate Carlos on his podium finish. He was there to celebrate the podium finish and you know champagne spray and everything. He participated in the event of Monaco, even though he had to do so with his street clothes on. And I, I really respected that immensely. Yeah, it's very classy from him. I mean, he's got a remarkably awful record at his home track. I don't even think he's in, ever finished it. He's no, never not even when he before he even raced in Formula One um, in F two, he never finished. <laughs> so, for whatever reason, uh, he has a really lamentable record at home, and it's a shame because clearly he knows his way around the track and is pretty quick, um, and uh, doesn't have. Hasn't had any luck at all. Um, Do you but yeah, think he I agree gets with you. distracted? Like, like he goes by, he's like, "Oh, that's my dry cleaner." Oh, did I pick up that shirt? Oh, that, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, no, I don't. But uh, yeah, it's it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting theory. <laughs> I, I think we'll we'll uh, we'll go ahead and chalk that under conspiracy theory. Uh, that's that's where we will put that one. Um, so yeah, I, you know, it, it was a it was bittersweet for Ferrari, but. Honestly, I think it was truthfully more sweet than it was bitter because it did show a capable chassis as well as two strong drivers. And I think that Carlos really showcased his talents. He is just immensely consistent, makes very few mistakes, and just he's very good at being in a strong mental place and just soldiering on so to bring ferrari a podium in the midst of everything else is highly impressive and you know he's only what this was the fifth grand prix of the season i hope i'm doing the math right and he's he seems to be coming to terms with that chassis pretty darn well and he's teammate is a very very highly rated driver and he's right there i i'm immensely impressed with uh, Carlos' performance uh, throughout the weekend as well. Yeah, he was um, he was very solid, wasn't he? He didn't have quite the ultimate pace that Charles had, but but he was very very close. Uh, didn't make didn't make any mistakes that I could see in in practice qualifying or the race. You know, qualified fourth on pace, took third on the grid, obviously. And um, and then took advantage of Botas's pit stop maladies uh, to to bring it home second and a, a you know great podium for him you know at the most prestigious race in the year to get second place to keep Verstappen honest at, at parts of the race as well fine fine drive from him. I'm also I have to say I'll be interested to hear your reaction to this 
Carlos, more than any other weekend, this weekend, Carlos reminded me of his father. I am not any kind of um, expert in World Rally, but I know that Carlos, Carlos Sainz Sr. did okay in World Rally, and I think one of his strengths was his ability to be on the limit but not over it. He was never... He was never a Crash McRae where he would just go completely out there and really hang a car up. But he was quick and he was awfully consistent and always seemed to be in a good place mentally, not easily jarred by circumstances. And to me, I saw a lot of those like at a high level, a lot of the same traits. And uh, I, I'm meaning this as a compliment to both father and son here that uh, that kind of racing mentality seen it in rally and seen it translated to formula one and it working out really well and some similarities to alonzo as well who maybe doesn't always have the ultimate pace but rock solid consistency well to be fair to carlos Sainz senior he's still an active driver i mean he's raced this year uh in the dakar rally and has done many many uh, uh rallies um, the dakar of, is of like a, a three-week tour bus tour of like Not- it's like a safari drive it's a it's like it's like getting in one of those eight person jeeps with stadium seating. It's like, ooh, ah, look at the giraffes. No, that does. Come on, deck car. That's not a race. Dear Lord, what's what is up with you today? <laughs> I absolutely love watching. I just wanted rallies. It. I, I always look. I at just the wanted to get a because, rise out of you, and I I, I yeah. had to go to extreme limits to find it. But and it's yeah, it's, I mean, it's not even in Africa anymore. I'm so it my uh, my joke doesn't even work. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely spot on. I mean, he's a he's a former World Rally champion, um, and yeah, he's still two time today. with Toyota. We should say. I think it was ninety yeah, ninety one uh, somewhere in there, eighty nine ninety somewhere in there. He was actually a teammate with Colin McRae, as, as you pointed out, and yeah, never managed to achieve the heights of uh, the crashes that Colin was able to pull off. <laughs> Generally, <laughs> you know, kept it on the on the uh, on the route. You can't really say the tarmac, can you? Because they they race on everything, but. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, no, he's, he's, they're both exceptionally talented drivers, very, you know, able to take the car to the limit, but they don't typically exceed it very often. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I've always rated Carlos since his days at STR, uh, as it was then, uh, with Max Verstappen. They were very, you know, evenly matched, actually. I mean, I think we've talked about this before. We have, And then yes. sort of Carbo, uh, Carlos left the Red Bull um organization and went, went his own way and he's been competitive with uh, at every team he's raced at uh, against whoever he's been pit, pitted against and uh, you know he's showing that with with Charles this year you know most of the drivers who've switched teams have struggled so far this year mainly due to, to the lack of preseason testing but Carlos probably you would argue has been the most successful of the guys who've switched teams and he's doing a very commendable job no doubt All right, so I want to keep the good vibes going, talk about good news, and that means I want to talk about Aston Martin racing. Well, hang on. Do we should we just finish? Should we just finish off quality? Because oh no 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 no. Well, I'm still on quality. Okay, good. We seem to be straddling quality and racing, but yeah. I mean, here's 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 what's happening. We're usually we touch on quality and then we dip into the action of the race. Well, the action of the race was almost entirely non-existent but what the implications of the race were actually quite interesting and that all stems from quality and uh how everything went down so i'm just kind of looking at qualifying performance and then kind of like touching in how that translated into the race that's been kind of the outline in my brain that i I suppose i should have shared before we started recording but now everyone knows (laughs) okay yeah i mean uh, why are we not talking about Max then? I mean, let's be honest. We'll, we'll get there. Good. Max, Max is fine. He'll be fine. <laughs> I mean, so, like, the reason is, I mean, okay, Max is the obvious, the obvious thing. He he was outside. He was P two at the start of the race. That made it an awkwardly positioned pole position for Sunday. And uh, he went on and to win the race, and he did so fairly comfortably. And uh, his teammate Perez, you know, took a 
so-so qualifying performance and made some lemonade out of it. But I think that that that's kind of like the obvious thing. What surprised me a little bit more was seeing Aston Martin perform at the level they did, and even more specifically than that, Sebastian Vettel putting in a real, like, truly solid performance. I mean, I'll, yeah, okay, I'll... I'll, uh, I'll... I'll allow you to, to switch to Aston Martin. I think we need to come back and talk about Red Bull. But but I think Vettel had a really, you know, we saw the real four-time world champion Sebastian Vettel turn up this weekend, didn't we, for the first time in a long time, and certainly the first time for Aston Martin. Um, qualifying eighth, um, you know, solid pace to get into the top ten. Um, out-qualifying Stroll by, by a healthy margin. Who healthy. was down in, yeah, in 13th. Um, and, and then was, I didn't, you know, I didn't expect him to, to do very much in the race, quite honestly, you know, everyone obviously gained a place when Charles didn't start and then everyone gained another place when Botas pitted, but, but he, he was racy. I mean, during the pit stop, uh, segment with Gasly and Hamilton, I mean, that was a phenomenal move by both Vettel to, to be close enough to take advantage and Aston Martin as a team to get him in and out quick enough to, to lead two, two cars on merit um, and w- w- you know then pulled away I mean he was pulling away from Gasly and right. um, had had very good pace so absolutely um, a phenomenal result for him and Aston Martin and hopefully this leads to you know the similar sort of performance for the balance of the year very impressed yeah, exactly right. And I think that the racing that we saw at Monaco came in the form of in-laps and out-laps around the pit stop. And that's where Vettel turned up the wick, did so properly, kept everything clean. And just as so you say, they were able to, through good pit strategy and good performance combined, leapfrog a couple of drivers. And then the closest thing to racing action we got getting close with Gasly, but keeping it clean. And I want to point out that several drivers got black and white flags for quote-unquote exceeding track limits, which at Monaco at all places is extra frustrating, but um, Vettel was not one of them. So he was he was clean and quick, and I think it was a very solid performance, and that's buttressed by the fact that he was healthy amount ahead of Stroll in qualifying, as you said, and they ended up with a double points, uh, double points finish, fifth and eighth. So yeah, I uh, mean exactly. So Stroll did a good job from that thirteenth grid position. Uh, he had to he had to get past Ricardo, Ocon, and Giovinazzi, and uh, certainly two of those three are pretty decent racers. So for him to be able to get past them, you know, either through pit stop strategy or whatever, uh, was a good effort to get, as you said, both cars in the top ten. Very very good positive weekend for Aston Martin. And for uh, Quebecois, because the uh, Lance Stroll did that, and then Jacques Villeneuve was on with uh, Will Buxton on Formula One for the post-race show, and I don't think he said anything, like, obviously offensive. So, <laughs> okay, that's, that's a double win. That's a double win. Um, so yeah, let's uh, let's let's move on to another good time, good time team, and then we'll move on to the slightly uh, more checkered news. Uh, Red Bull Racing, obviously very strong weekend. Max Verstappen wins the race. Sergio Perez uh, does some leapfrogging of his own, comes home fourth. That puts that puts Max Verstappen in the lead of the Drivers' Championship and Red Bull Racing in the lead of the Constructors' Championship. Mega weekend for them. Yeah, I mean, Red Bull have been strong at Monte Carlo in previous years, even when Mercedes were dominant. So this was always a track, I'm sure, that they were targeting to win. Prior to the weekend really getting going, Hamilton was trying to lay on some pressure to Verstappen, saying, you know, you got, he's got something to prove, he's... he's uh, being quite aggressive, I've done well to avoid being hit, you know, all this sort of stuff. But you got to say, I mean, Red Bull and Max delivered. I mean, they had an opportunity. The car was obviously working very well around the circuit, but Max didn't put a wheel wrong. He didn't hit anything. Um, you know, he was a little unlucky not to get pole. He ended up getting it by default and then just cleared off and was driving, I think, well within his capability and the car's capability. And no one looked like 
you know, touching him. I mean, Botas couldn't live with him in the first stint, and Carlos tried to put a bit of pressure after the stops, but but Max just just uh, was able to pull away at will. And um, you know, so they executed a, 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 an amazing weekend. And with Hamilton's struggles, which I'm sure we'll come on to shortly, it was a it was a bonanza, wasn't it? I mean, they took a 14 point deficit and turned it into a, a, a four point lead, uh, and really, you know, have uh, wiped out all of. Hamilton's and Mercedes's good efforts through the first four races. So, tremendous result for Red Bull. Um, Sergio, I think, I don't want to get too excited about Sergio. I mean, ninth on the grid was not good enough, let's be serious. And then he just did the logical overcut uh, strategy with the quickest car at the track and got fourth. So, well, well done, Sergio. You did what, what you should have done and, and what Elbon was able to demonstrate over a season and a half still not good enough from him but you know it was uh, it was at least he was going in the right direction I think one of the key things that helped Red Bull out though was Gasly I mean so now you've got the B team and Gasly's ahead of Hamilton on the grid and able to just completely limit Hamilton's options during the race so that Gasly actually did Verstappen and Red Bull I think a big favour by being able to qualify his AlphaTauri uh, sixth place well, I think Gasly is quickly becoming, you know, a fairly highly rated driver now that he's been unshackled by the number two driver status at Red Bull Racing. And I am I feel like uh, Perez is proving that he is a mighty step forward from Albon, but agree with you that it's not the performance that certainly he was hoping for and that I was cautiously optimistic for uh, you know I, I'm still it's still fairly early uh, you know there's still the whole idea of getting comfortable with the race team and coming to terms with how to handle it I think that's still playing a role here and we have to give him just a little bit of leniency but I agree with you that the ninth pains qualifying was substandard considering the track his experience level and everything else but you know uh, similar to uh, Aston Martin he made uh, the most of the opportunity from Saturday he made most of it on Sunday and performed well uh, to get to make the overtakes work and things like that to make the overcuts work excuse me and uh, so I'm I'm willing to give him just a little bit more credit than you are but I'm largely with you yeah so that that was you know, Gasly, I think sixth place on the grid ahead of Hamilton, I think was key. He pitted a lap after Hamilton to prevent the undercut from working. Um, and I think if Mercedes had tried to run long with Hamilton and go for the overcut, I don't think Gasly would have pitted on the lap he did. I think he would have stayed out and uh, forced a super long overcut and just held Hamilton up. I mean, why wouldn't you do that? I mean, it was, it was the perfect situation for Red Bull to have a driver, no matter which team, in front of Hamilton that they could control and uh, killed his weekend. And, so, and brilliant, ahead, brilliant please. tactically. Absolutely brilliant tactically. And I mean, Hamilton shouldn't be in qualifying in seventh, right? That's, there's, no, uh, there's no excuse for that, especially when your teammate is in the, in the battle for pole position and qualified uh, third and started second. So, um, you know, Hamilton made his own bed and had to live with it throughout the race and all the frustration that he vented at his team. I mean, I think he just has to look at himself because he just didn't get the most out of that car. No matter how bad the Mercedes was around uh, Monte Carlo, he wasn't able to, to extract the performance that was, that was possible. And, um, and that's been a strength in that of situation. his. That's been a strength oh, yeah, of his over the years to take up a poor car and still maximize it and it just didn't happen uh this time around and i want to talk about mercedes a little bit more but i kind of want to close with mercedes and okay so i want to talk about one other team that had really like a dichotomy of performance and that was mclaren so here we had lando norris end up on the podium just stellar performance all weekend and you know qualified fifth and then his teammate, his very highly regarded race-winning teammate, started 12th and then finished. Where did he finish? He finished 12th. 12th. I, I mean, and Ricardo was, he was, he came into this weekend pumped. He was ready to outperform his teammate this weekend. 
and kind of like turned the corner. And he turned a corner, but it <laughs> went the wrong way, you know. So uh, I, that one was really hard to see Lando Norris on the podium. And uh, there was, you know, the post-race interviews right after the race. And Carlos and uh, Lando were kind of jabbing each other and having fun. And here Ricardo is outside of the points. It was just such a weird, weird place for McLaren to be. And I just felt I felt terrible for Ricardo. And really happy for Lando. I mean, Lando signed a contract. He's extended his deal with McLaren. He's now through 2023 at a minimum with McLaren. And he scores another podium. And McLaren is now, I believe, third in the championship again, team championship. So that's all great. But then Ricardo's in here, and it's just nowheresville. Yeah, it's a really odd situation, isn't it? I mean, I think you've got two things going on. Lando, I think, is driving really well this year and seems to have found another level. And obviously, Daniel isn't where he normally is in a McLaren yet. I mean, you know, Daniel's a former Monte Carlo winner. I mean, he knows how to race at Monaco. So, but he was generally about a second off Lando's pace, which is massive. And nobody thinks he's a second slower than Lando normally. So you're absolutely right. It was really odd to see. I mean, Norris was, was there and thereabouts, as I said earlier, in the fight for pole. Uh, very good fifth, fifth place. You know, I think it was a fraction of a second behind Carlos and, and Valtteri. And was plenty pacey. And even with some pressure from Perez late on, never looked like losing third and the final podium spot. Um, whereas Daniel just seemed to have nothing going for him at all and seemed to be... I mean, his comments that the, the lap felt reasonable, and yet they'd look at the time and just didn't know why he was so slow, which is which is very worrying. And yeah. and oddly, you know, this is coming off the back of a strong week weekend in Barcelona, where he he was able to to get one over Norris and had a, you know looked like he'd turned a corner and was starting to get a bit more comfortable, and then he's just gone and had a horrific. Um, weekend in, in Monte Carlo so yeah an odd one that he's talking about modification to the car being required to, to make him uh, get get closer to Norris which is also a little bit worrying as well basically the vehicle the car development needs to needs to be more in tune with what he needs out of it rather than him adapting to the car so that's um yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting to see how that plays out. I mean, obviously, there's no other track really like Monte Carlo, so he's not going to have the same issues anywhere else for the balance of the calendar. But he certainly needs to he certainly needs to have more weekends like Barcelona and less like uh, Monaco going forward. To be fair to Ricardo, uh, I have another conspiracy theory, which <laughs> is that the car is set up around Lando, and Lando prefers to have the throttle... Uh, on the left and the brakes on the right and the only the front brakes are controlled by the feet you do the rear brake with your hand and it's a little hand trigger so that would that would take some time to get used to to be fair and i think ricardo is just saying hey it'd be cool if our car were like the others and uh they're saying no that's a terrible idea so uh, that's one conspiracy theory to swim around in. Should we talk about Haas for a second and, and poor old Mick Schumacher? Uh, yes, we can talk about Mick, and I think we should touch on Alpine, but then we got to jump into Mercedes. Yeah, so Mick um, had a couple of crashes, and uh, the second of which was in FP3, and he did enough damage to the car to uh, through Casino Square to, to not be able to participate in qualifying. He got dispensation to start the race, um, and then, which was the entirely race. appropriate, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. And and then he got he got to uh, to start the race and and got past Mazepin, but uh, then had I, I think an engine problem which uh, reduced his pace. So Mazepin got him. I mean, I was reading that his pace in FP3 prior to the crash was impressive. I think he was up to 14th, but you know, second shunt, that's unacceptable, isn't it? Really, the, all the rookies. So Sonoda included finished 16th, 17th, and 18th. So de essentially dead last because the only other people who fit, who uh, uh, who are on the grid didn't finish. Bottas and Leclerc. So that should be fair. Shows, I, um, I I just saw a report um, came out about five minutes ago. Valtteri's post pit stop is finished. They just got the tire on. 
and, <laughs> and he's getting back on the grid. He just now he's at a stoplight. So uh, <laughs> it's he Botas is going to finish the race. Yeah, I mean, so obviously it's a tough place to go to as a, as a rookie. No one discounts that. Um, the greats have somehow still managed to perform, the likes of uh, Senna and and uh, and his dad, uh, Michael Schumacher, was always obviously very successful around uh, Monaco. But I think showing some pace is one thing, but you got to keep it out of the wall. I mean, okay, you can maybe forgive one shunt, but two, two that then prevents you from from qualifying... Nah, that's, 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 yeah, he's going to be kicking himself for that one, I think. And, you know, the other thing, the other thing to talk about quickly is is the cost. That Haas has a really tricky rear end. It's been reported on pretty publicly now. And that, that's not the track you want to have a tricky rear end. I mean, just to be fair. I mean, if any car was going to crash twice, yeah, I'm shocked it's not Mazepin either. But, I mean... Yeah, that car is that car is a bit. There's some black magic in that thing, like the bad kind. Well, the uh, the drivers from last year weren't shunting it at every track, were they? Spinning constantly. I mean, are you saying that the updates have just made it more difficult since uh, since Grosjean and uh, uh, oh, uh, what's his name? I've forgotten his name already. Dear Lord, uh, yeah. the other house yeah, driver Kevin from Magnuson. last year. Thank you. I mean, Magnussen and uh, Grosjean. We're able to, to get some extract some pace at times last year in that in that chassis, and it's only a mildly updated car. I mean, okay, the floor changes have affected everybody, but and these guys are learning the tracks. But to me, you, you know, you gotta you gotta learn from your first shunt, haven't you? I mean, what's the point in getting a couple of places higher than you normally would, and and but constantly binning it? I, I think you've got you have to owe it to the team to keep it out of the wall at Monaco. Well, maybe so. uh, Mick was trying to emulate his father and, you know, crash to prevent other people from being able to get their lap times in and then remembered, oh, shoot, that's qualifying, not Q3, uh, FP3. <laughs> so, you know, that that was his rookie mistake. I mean, what I was going to say was I, I was reading before the Monaco weekend that Mercedes have declined to participate in a Pirelli 18-inch tire test due to money. They don't want to blow the budget on that test and so they're, they're sailing so close to the wind on the sal- on the budget cap this year that they're just eliminating these types of, of events so if you're you know constantly crashing um, and damaging the car that that's really going to hurt you this year uh, with with the caps and but isn't um, Haas fairly well under that cost cap anyway I mean Gene Haas isn't poor the owner but I think that would, the whole point was to lift up the smaller teams, and Haas is definitely one of the smaller teams. Yes, but if you're trying to funnel everything you've got from a development budget point of view to next year's chassis, which is their stated goal, then every time you write off one of this year's chassis is essentially deleting money you can spend on next year's chassis, isn't it? I mean, it's not ideal. It's never ideal to write cars off. Um, but I think this year more than, and now we have the cap in place, we're going to start to see that there's a, there's a higher cost, uh, really a higher cost to, to having constant issues um, and, and constant damage to the car. And that's where maybe employing two rookies maybe wasn't the smartest choice. And it is also, I think, <laughs> just it's amazing to look at. Um, Yuki, Yuki Sonoda finished, you know, he was one lap down. Um, and that's also the case for um, all the drivers, um, uh, starting with Lance Stroll, 8th through 16th, were one lap down. And then Mazepin and Schumacher were alone being three laps down. Just to give a concept of pace of that car versus the rest of the field. I'm not, I'm not arguing, I'm not pro-crash damage here. I'm just a little bit more sympathetic to... Uh, Schumacher's plight, I suppose. And I think it's a fair point, though. You you had your crash. Button it up. Maybe you're not quite on the ragged edge, but you're keeping the thing in one piece. That That's fair. You want to talk about Mercedes' woes for a minute here? Sure. Yeah, let's talk about that. I mean, they were struggling to get the, the tires into the operating temperature window. And it seems that 
unlike in Imola, where Hamilton was able to find a way and Bottas could not. The roles were reversed at this Grand Prix, and Bottas could could find this, could generate the temperature, and therefore got more grip. Um, and Hamilton, whatever he was doing with the multiple warm-up laps, just it wasn't getting there. And the weird thing was, I guess, the setup on the car was quite aggressive to try and help generate tire temperature, and that was <laughs> that was then resulting in higher tire degradation. So not only did they not have, well, let's talk, it's not they, not only did Hamilton not have pace, but he was having higher tyre degradation than everyone around him, which is Mercedes's reason for trying the undercut, not the overcut. Yeah. But, you know, whatever the reason, ultimately the performance from Hamilton and the team was entirely unacceptable, really. I mean, it was just a disastrous weekend. And then you throw in the pit stop where they couldn't get the front ride off Valtteri's car. Um, I mean, what a horror show to come away from Monaco with just one seventh place where, you know, essentially all things being equal, you would have expected Hamilton to start seventh and finish fifth. And so because of the of the DNFs and yet he actually lost two places. So he started where he where, uh, finished where he started in seventh. Well, um, we were just talking. I mean, you know, that the, Hamilton was one of the people that Vettel got around. Right. That's so, right. Yeah. And Hamilton was just out of sorts all weekend and how brazenly and openly he was criticizing the team on the radio during the race was shocking to me like i that just it seems like if you're one event some frustrations do so at the debrief after the race not for the world to hear how like why didn't we do this strategy or that strategy and he seemed to be blaming the team for every position he lost which just uncharacteristic of how he behaves in general. And I, I, I was just really, I really couldn't believe what I was hearing. Well, you know, I, I was surprised. I, I figured once he got a few laps into the race and, the, and got the tires somewhere near um, its normal temperature, that he would have a crack at Gasly. And do we ever see him consistently in the DRS zone? No. Do we ever see him, you know, trying to get him through the tunnel into the chicane? No. So I thought, okay, he's not trying to pass him on track, but what he's going to do is the overcut. So he's keeping his tires in good shape, staying, you know, second and a half, two seconds back. He's going to try and run longer and then unleash the pace of the car at that point. And then they brought him in <laughs> the first of any runner. And he, his, one of his complaints was, well, you told me to save the tires. I was saving the tires. And now you brought me in first. What was the point of that? And that's a legitimate question. Fair. I mean, really astonishing set of uh, events. Because, uh, you know, if you know you're going to lap uh, pit on lap 25 or whatever it was, aren't you going to take all the life out of that tire you can and try and be super aggressive? And at least if you don't think you can make the move on Gasly, you're going to at least put him under pressure. You're going to be right into his gearbox, trying to get right. into... Maybe, outbreak himself. maybe force a mistake. Yeah, and none of that was going on. And, and just, I was absolutely stunned that he came in first. And you know, Mercedes said that the tyres were, were fairly well uh, degraded, not as much as both on Bottas' car, the three they managed to get off, but, but you know, the tyre the wear was excessive. And so they felt justified in bringing him early. But, I mean, what? What a disastrous strategy, really. And, and yeah, I mean, I don't condone him, him whining and complaining like that, but I can understand why he was so unhappy. I mean, you, you obviously know when you start the race, you, there aren't going to be many passes, so you're going to be following the car in front, but you've got to try and make something happy and, uh, happen. And um, Mercedes were talking about all these clever strategy uh, uh, ideas they'd come up with and, and all these tricks they were going to try. Well, <laughs> where, where were they? I mean, well, they were non-existent. And it comes off the back of a, a fantastic strategy that they did in, and I, that was Spain last weekend, yeah, where they, they had the two-stop strategy that just overran Verstappen. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it was it was uncharacteristic on both the team and the driver's side, absolutely. Um, I mean, you wonder if, if the loss of the DAS system, um, the, the dual-axis steer system, that they had to take off the car for this year is really, really hurting them. And that now getting getting the tires to work on tracks that are not conducive to to creating uh, temperature and um, and on colder days is is an issue for them. 
and uh, you know so we're going to see in similar conditions with similar similar circuit tracks um, um, the same type of problem and if they can't get the tires up to up to up to temperature then max is just going to run away with this championship yeah no that that's entirely possible now i think you 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 stuck on a good point here we've been entirely too negative here let's first of all congratulate the pit crew Three out of four of them, that's 75% that got the tires off just fine <laughs> and had new tires on. So absolutely congratulations to them. That was, you know, that was absolutely a passing grade in most circumstances. Um, but okay, seriously, I, it's not that mistakes happen, heat of battle, trying to go super quickly. You make a mistake. But the fact that it was cross-threaded, and then, like, machine the threads off or whatever happened. I mean, those were the just cursory explanations I heard. To have to DNF because you couldn't get a wheel off. I'm, I don't think I've seen that before. Oh, shocking, I, isn't that, it? That was just insane. That, I mean, we used to joke about Haas pit stops. That never happened at a Haas pit stop. No, I've never seen anything like that. Or I can't. I mean, I've seen a lot of pit stops where one of the wheels isn't on right and the, and the wheel then subsequently comes off. I mean, has had a good run of doing that a few a couple of years ago, right? Um, cost themselves a really good finish in Australia, as I recall. But to not be able to get the wheel off in the first place, I mean, just, you've got to wonder what on earth is going on there. Um, oh, it's just an awful weekend for Mercedes. I mean, to talk, to just finish on the point about Hamilton's pace, though, I took a look at the 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 the, uh, the lap times or the pit stop times between him Vettel and Gasly, you know who had the quickest stop? Hamilton. I think Hamilton did. Hamilton, yeah, twenty three point seven eight seconds. Vettel was a twenty four point three seven, and Gasly was a twenty four four three. So he had almost half a second quicker pit stop than the two people he was competing with, and yet still got mugged. And the only reason for that can be once he was out of the pit lane. Again, that tire temperature wasn't sufficient. He couldn't get it up to temperature, and he had a really slow outlap. And and therefore, those guys were able to get him. And that's just unbelievable. Just well, unbelievable. And there's even more irony to all of this because who who got the fastest lap of the race? Hamilton, because he yeah. went in, got a second pit stop because he knew he couldn't get around Gasly, but he had space. So came in for a set of softs toward the end and put in a lap that was more than a second quicker than anybody else. <laughs> so, you know, and manfully that, head off Lance, uh, held off Lance Stroll for eighth place. I mean, let's give him some credit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, and I, you know, I, obviously, I'm sure that there's a lot of people at Mercedes that would rather just forget this weekend. Yeah, but mm-hmm. I, I will say. I bet money that there was Patty Lowe, at least for one, but at one point he was watching that and just laughed and said, I wouldn't, that wouldn't have happened under me. I wouldn't have let that happen. You know what I mean? Like Patty Lowe is like, oh, oh, there's the cross studying guy. I told you not to put that guy on threads, put that guy on threads, told you not to do it. You know what I mean? There, there had to be, there had to be some snickering in the Lowe family, uh, family room. Yeah. Oh, I think there's a lot of people who enjoyed Mercedes and Hamilton's troubles over the weekend. Uh, I mean, Red Bull must have been absolutely overjoyed and, and, and a lot of teams up and down the grid probably uh, probably said welcome to our situation you know, most weekends. So, yeah, I mean, that was a tough one for them. They're going to have to find a way to bounce back in Baku, um, which, you know, with the length of that straight should should suit their car a little bit better. Um well, it's a but, street uh, course just like Monaco, but it is very different otherwise. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it's yeah. a very different place. I mean, to, to go back to a more positive note, I, I, I was interested to, to read that that was Honda's first win at Monaco since Ayrton Senna in 1992. And it's the first time they've led the championship since 91, obviously, again, with Senna and McLaren. Um, so, you know, for Honda... You know, again, you don't have to go back very far where they were the laughing stock of Formula One, you know, with the Alonso deck chair scenario in uh, in Brazil and him claiming it was an F2 engine um, and they were having a terrible old time. 
to now um, to having bounced back and now be leading the championship is an extraordinary turnaround. And it's a shame that they're leaving at the end of the season, honestly. I know you're a huge fan of Honda, so you'll you'll support me in these sentiments. But Emma, I um, I, I mean, I just don't know much about. I haven't really heard of the brand. Are they? <laughs> are they new? So yeah, I mean, it's 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 astonishing. I mean, who would have thought at this point they, they, that Red Bull and Verstappen would be leading both championships? It's an incredible achievement, and they you know they just took full advantage of a weekend where they had a you know the best car and. and Made it, made it, uh, made Mercedes and Hamilton pay. So good on them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, is uh, you know, I did want to just briefly touch on you know, this was another great weekend for Espan Ocon. He was ahead. He was again ahead of Alonso, and he finished in the points, um, getting two points in ninth. And Alonso was out of the points in thirteenth. So it was another, obviously to less extremes, but it was an, similar to Lando Norris and. Daniel Ricardo um, there, but you know Ocon is proving that so far at least that he can he can keep up with someone like Alonso and and he's he seems to be mentally in a stable place as well. Yeah, he's restoring some of the damage that that he suffered last year at Daniel Ricardo's hands. Um, he, you know, I think his reputation took a really big big hit last year. Um, and yeah, I mean, being able to consistently blow Alonso away week after week on different types of circuits definitely helping him get get back into one of the favoured uh, rising stars of, of, of Formula One for sure. I don't know what's going on with Alonso. I mean, you talked about him earlier saying he was a good, consistent pair of hands. I mean, the thing with Alonso is he was always supposed to have the most stunning race pace, that his ability exactly to right. you know, maximise the car performance lap after lap. Uh, at any Grand Prix was what he was known for and that seems to have gone missing and of course at, at Monaco if you can't pass you can't really demonstrate that pace can you but but yeah he's in a tough place at this point and needs uh, needs to needs to find some form but, you know him and Daniel probably should go and exchange notes and see what they can come up with is there anything else to talk about for this race weekend you know I think we covered a lot of the championship implications um, and we've got some we got some fantastic racing coming ahead of us, but I don't want to cut off if you had any other Monaco points you wanted to make. There was a couple. So uh, it was Williams' uh, 750th race. Ah, um, yes. Milestone race for them. Yeah, unfortunately, they could only finish in 14th and 15th. I mean, Russell put it in Q2 again, um, and they're certainly better off than they were over the last couple of years, but still a long way from where they used to be. Um, I so think a bit of a sad they're, they're in the same really. place. Sorry to interrupt. I think they're in the same place, but the gap is narrowed, right? So, you know, they raised the bar. So did everybody else. So they're still in the back of the mid-pack, but they're kind of in the thick of it as opposed to just barely hanging on. That was my takeaway. I think you're right. Yeah, they've caught up with the back of the midfield. But the, the issue for them is if you look at Alfa Romeo, uh, with Giovinazzi managing to get into Q3, qualify 10th, and then score points um, in, in the same place, 10th place. Uh, they seem to have made a, probably a bigger step than Williams have over the winter. So that's not, not ideal for Williams. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there, as we've talked about before, there's signs of life, but it's still a slightly depressing <laughs> thing for me that, you know, on their 750th race anniversary, that's all they can manage. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I hoping we, I'm hoping we find a track where somehow Russell can, can get into the top 10 and stay in there and they can finally score a point, which I don't think they've done so for a couple of years or so. Um, and then the other the other piece of news is Max Mosley. I just heard before we started the podcast that he uh, unfortunately passed away um, mm. today at the age of 81. And Max Mosley, oh. for those who don't know, uh, used to be the head of the FIA um, for uh, many years, from 93 to 2009, and uh, sort of was, was one half of the double act with Bernie Ecclestone and they basically ruled the sport for, for obviously a long time almost a couple of decades he also was the one of the founding members of March which was a uh, customer chassis company back in the 70s uh, and I think Max is probably best known for the safety initiatives he in introduced to the sport after the death of Senna in 94 and really uh, you know 
completely looked at the rules and regulations and how to really move Formula One safety into the 21st century in the, in the mid to late 90s. So, uh, you know, he, he, he actually had a big, uh, big role to play in the development of the sport as we know it today. So I just wanted to comment on that. Yeah, no, uh, fair point. I, You know, he had a bit of a checkered history and a little bit of a controversial history. You know, sometimes he seemed to be getting caught up in not, not the most mainstream of ideals, perhaps. But Oh, I, he's definitely controversial, no doubt about that. But yeah. I was just trying to highlight the positives. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I, mean, I, I just want to... I, I want, I just, uh, it's, you know, his contributions were definitely there. He was a force to be reckoned with, absolutely. And he did, he did help. He was obviously, as you say, a big part of carrying the sport into such the monolith of, of racing that it is. But, uh, you know, I think we still need to recognize that he, he, he was, uh, he was a complicated character. No doubt about that. But we'll let you let anyone listening uh, go off and research that yeah, very exactly. time. I think we'll I don't think that. I want to comment on that. Yeah. So this coming weekend is the 105th running of the Indianapolis 500. It is a mega mega race. Scott Dixon, six-time IndyCar champion and uh, Indy 500 winner, will be starting on pole position. For the coming race, I will definitely be watching, even though they only turn left. It is a very, very special set of left turns, and I'm very much looking forward to that. Uh, the weekend after that will be the Azerbaijan Grand Prix that we touched on a couple of times, and uh, looking forward to that. And the weekend after that is the Detroit Grand Prix, our hometown of sorts. And so we've got a few weeks of great, great racing and podcasting to come as a result but even more exciting than that i've been busy on youtube kind sir and that included two videos uh that i wanted to talk about i not that long ago did a video on the subaru outback wilderness suv station wagon suv which was a lot of fun and then just a few days later i did a ride-along lap with three-time indian in pull Indianapolis 500 champion Elio Castro Neves, who was also interviewed on the show last week. He gave me a lap around in the brand new Acura TLX Type S, and that was a lap around Mid-Ohio, which is a fantastic road course near us. And then just a few days after that, which was this morning, I drove the fourth generation, oh, you're going to love it, Hyundai Tucson. And uh, I, I have to say that the takeaway from that car more than anything else is this is this is probably the best looking Hyundai I've seen in a long time. It's certainly a unique front end and I'm pleased they've moved away from copying everything Volkswagen Audi does. And they've yes. got a distinct distinct look and it's quite, you know, I don't know if it's everyone's cup of tea, but it's certainly unique and I applaud them for that. Yeah, they made bold decisions and bold decisions uh, can definitely lead to being polarizing ones, but they're the things that get attention for good or for ill they get attention and and for me personally it worked now i am sad to tell you mr roche that this car also costs more than twenty thousand dollars so please <laughs> please uh, take that into consideration uh in the tucson uh, i did the video the video i did was on the hybrid model there is very very soon just a few weeks time a plug-in hybrid version of this suv coming as well as a standard internal combustion engine only version which is already out and so there's a there's a nice broad sweep of powertrains in this car and um, quite a few trim levels as well i was in a limited model top of the line because you know i'm fancy pinkies up as i sip my tea and uh yeah it was a good time great video so i please encourage and ask you to check those videos out if you have a moment or two and i will reward you with Resounding entertainment. Castro Neves qualified in the top 10, didn't he, for the 500? Yeah, and he's doing that with uh, Michael Shank Racing. And uh, this is his first of six races he's going to do with the team this year. And he is 46 years young. 
and I'm very happy for him because he's just he's just a lot of fun. He's he's a great person to watch in the sport. So I hope he does well. But uh, we'll cover that in a little bit more detail next week. For now, I want to thank you for listening. Please take a moment to review us on iTunes or on whatever platform you get our podcast. Please leave comments on the episode of your choice by going to funwithcars.com. That is a website. I am super fancy. As always, I could be reached at feedback at funwithcars.com. Tweet us at fun underscore with underscore cars. And check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash fwcars. Chris, just another lovely conversation on another lovely day. Thank you, Robin. I'm Robin Warner. Goodbye. Goodbye.